0: Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So this is sort of my weekly wrap-up video. There's a handful of, of what I consider newsworthy topics to discuss, including the market, some about the economy, etc. So we'll begin to that. But you know, as the title suggests, I want to start off with precious metals because I know that's why a lot of you guys tune into this in the first place. So You know, as you can see, what you're looking at here is a one-month chart for both silver and gold. Um, This week, I have their right colors. You know, last week or or one of my past videos, I put gold uh, as black and and silver and more of this goldish color. But this week, we got gold back to a goldish-orangish and silver, kind of this gray or black color. But anyways... As you can see, you know on on the right hand side here, more recently, it's it's been an interesting but as a whole a down week for precious metals. For a bit of context, you know it was uh, you know back in in early March, uh, late February, when we saw the markets really break down gold, which is the one that I'm really watching right now. Not to say it's silver is not important. You guys know I'm a big fan of silver, but I'll, I can get into that, in, into that more in a second. But but we saw in gold break its key resistance at slash, at that time, support level of 1,300, and kind of languish uh, below 1,300 for a while, and then it, and then it got it back um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then again this week, uh, above 1,300. In fact, it got quite a bit of a bid earlier this week, all the way up around 1,320. But by the end of the week, the dollar uh, rallied pretty considerably, and gold went down, and, and silver obviously followed. In fact, if you look at the gold to silver ratio, as of late it, it continues to climb um you know as a whole this is you know a very long-term one so so we'll move to like a sorry about the pop-up something like a six month or, or maybe a three month chart here and maybe we'll do one year all right there we go um as you can see over the last year or Historically, looking at that longer term chart, it uh, remains very high. In fact, it, it actually briefly topped 86 to 1 yesterday, and it bounced off that. It's back in the 85 range, and again, I really don't see it as going much higher than where it was yesterday or you know where it was back in, in December, but um, silver definitely uh, took the brunt of, of this move down. Now, if we look a little more short term here where gold and silver are, Now I'm recording this video at the very end of the week, Uh, so you know the market's going to close in nine minutes, eight minutes here, and it would be my guess that that gold is not going to retake thirteen hundred in that time span. In fact, earlier today it attempted, you can see right here, uh, to retake thirteen hundred, and it failed. It bounced off that. Now that's pretty negative for me, and you know this coming week, unless there is some serious dovishness from the Fed and and the dollar uh, reacts accordingly. We might you know be in for for a retest of some support levels. So the question is, you know, what might be those support levels. You know, the first one I'd be looking at is is in this low 1280 range, 1284, 1280. Uh, If gold breaks down to that next week, that would be a support level I'd be looking at. Um, You know, beyond that, we'd be looking you know closer to like 1250 or 1240. That's what I'd be looking at for, you know, next week. If it really breaks down, you know, 1280, uh that, you know, might be the extent of it. Uh, even if it does break through that, I don't see it at uh, 1250 next week, 1240. Um But, but again, you know, just from a technical perspective, short term here in the next week or even the next month, you know, we could see some, some downward trend in gold. Now, I'm not going to get too carried away with this. Um I get it. This rally that began back in November, it stalled uh, a couple times along the way, but it always found a new leg up until it kind of hit that you know 1350 level, which you don't quite see on this chart because it was it was in a you know very short time period that actually hit that. Since then, it's been really stalling out and really struggling to hold 1300 on a sustained basis. But that doesn't mean necessarily that it has to fall back and retest its lows from the second after of eighteen uh, two thousand eighteen or something like that um, I'm just not getting carried away with this again twelve eighty might be in the you know even twelve uh you know twelve fifty twelve sixty twelve forty that range could be kind of the next um i guess support level you guys notice i'm I'm just really relaxed about this technicals I'm not going to give you like a twelve eighty two and eleven cents no but um because I'm not a trader, I, I don't, you know, really look at those technicals that closely, but I, I just don't, I'm not going to get too carried away with this and, and make a call like it's it's heading below 1,200 or it's heading to 1,200 because um, I just don't see that yet, right? Uh, in fact, a lot of the fundamentals would point to it moving up. In fact, you know, they have for a while and, and it hasn't moved up as as, you know, to above 1350 or above 1400 or whatever your your target is it's been range bound for for you know several years here as we can see despite the fundamentals uh and yet i would say you know the i'll put it this way i don't know how long this economic cycle is going to take or this credit cycle i don't know how long this fed tightening and, and what we're in right now is pretty close to a pause in their in their uh, fed cycle i don't know how long it's going to take but what i can tell you is that we're five years closer to the end of this than we were at the beginning of this chart and so for me to say that um (laughs) at some point these fundamentals have to kick in is is not that outlandish now i get it fundamentals haven't mattered for a long time in in a market that is manipulated and and oftentimes just disliked or, or ignored by by many investors by many traders um and yet you know my My gut tells me, the numbers tell me, never mind my gut, the numbers tell me that the fundamentals remain rock solid for both of these metals. Now, you know, if we can talk real quickly about silver, kind of a similar story. As I said earlier, gold is the one I watch right now. Um, You guys know how I feel about silver versus gold, but the reason I, 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 or maybe you don't, you know, watch some of my prior videos, but the reason I'm watching gold is because I think that for a while here, gold's gonna lead the way. Um, as they, they move up, again, I've, I've talked about this in the past, breaking through 1350 and eventually 1360, 1400, uh, kind of those key resistance levels. Uh, we'll see that gold to silver ratio shrink somewhat on the way up there, but beyond 1400, that's when I think we'll see it come down. And and, and gold will matter less, I think, for the silver market in the sense that uh, silver sometimes is is finding key support and resistance levels, sometimes, but sometimes it really seems like gold is the one that's leading the way and 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 I wonder if that's kind of the case um until gold really breaks out, and then we'll see silver follow suit uh to 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 an even larger upside that's my take on it. so real quickly for silver well we'll just take uh uh we'll we'll just go like this we'll take gold off the chart altogether um, it uh you know remains what I would consider to be very cheap now this is a case of maybe it finding some. Resistance around 15, because it did sink more than gold, but it found resistance at 15 bucks an ounce. Again, you know, if gold, uh, you know, retests 1280 or even uh, 1280, we might see silver back around 15 if it retests um, something like 1260, 1240. We might see it below 15 dollars an ounce again. Uh, I, I mean, I see this as a buying opportunity for me personally. Um, I, I, you know, when it comes to goals for for stacking precious metals, physical silver. In my case, because I don't own any gold, I'd like to in the future. But going back to to this chart over here, the ratio—it's just hard for me to justify it sometimes. Uh, my goals aren't so much like an X amount of ounces. Like at some point, yeah, it'd become too heavy or too too bulky to store, or just too much of my investment portfolio. Much further along in my life, okay, maybe that's. Going to be the case someday, but right now, when I think of goals, it's not X amount of ounces. It's more so, what's this ratio at, or what's the Dow to silver, Dow to gold ratio at, or just where is the Dow or the S and P in general, or the housing uh, index, uh, price of a house in my area versus silver or gold. What is the dollar look? You know, those are the types of goals. Those are the types of numbers that I have in mind in terms of, of you know, what I'm looking for here. Not so much X amount of ounces. So. Um, even dollar terms right dollars matter in terms of pricing metals and yet i don't even sometimes i have somewhat of a goal in mind like 30 40 50 etc for silver and, and when do i sell some of it for something else not for fiat for good at least uh, maybe it's fiat as an intermediary but even that is is subject to change because of inflation right it's more so what can the silver buy not so much How many dollars is it worth? So that's kind of me, you know, so again, this is just a buying opportunity, more opportunities to buy silver around 15 bucks, 16 bucks an ounce. That's, uh, that's not too bad for me. You know, I bought 10 ounces, um, last week maybe, um, which is too bad because I could have bought it this week and and I would have gotten it a little bit cheaper, like five bucks cheaper, four bucks cheaper, but still not it was a, it was, um, an at spot deal. But, uh. I didn't go, I actually didn't get that spot. I think I got a 60 cents over spot. It was from Silver Gold Bull. I was using their deal and and uh, they got it uh, the other day and it, I don't know, nothing, nothing bad to report about them. It, it, uh, it's 10 ounce silver bar. So anyways, I'm, I'm getting off track here. Next topic I want to talk about. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder is the treasury market. So again, sorry for the pop-ups. Treasury market has been crazy as of late. Now, As you can see here, this is the 10-year yield, kind of the big one that a lot of people watch. Of course, in times like these, when we're talking about the yield curve, certainly they're watching anything from the the one month or the two week or whatever all the way up to the 30-year bond. Uh, But right here, just where it's been in the last week or two is really what I want to focus on. We've seen yields really crash for for the bond market. And, And as a reminder, I mean, this means prices going up. I won't show you price chart, but basically this means... Uh, uh, treasury bonds are, are catching a, a bid, pretty strong bid as of late. In fact, not too long ago, I was talking, uh, this would have been a month or two ago, where we saw uh, it really bounce off this 2.6 level, 2.61, 2.62% 2. yield. And then it broke out to the upside. And And I was kind of thinking at that point, you know, this is a uh, maybe means yields are heading up well it it broke down from there and, and since then has broken down significantly now there's a couple of different ways you can look at this you know purely from from i guess the us government perspective this means that all this debt that the us government is always issuing and rolling over especially the short term stuff uh which they have a lot of to roll over on uh, you know they have to roll over a 1 month or 3 month or or a 1 year more often than they do a 10 or a 30 um they they're, they're going to be uh getting it at a cheaper i guess if they are rolling it over in the 10-year space now that's not necessarily the case for the shorter term stuff as we'll see here in a second but for the longer term the 10-year the 30-year i don't know what the 30-year yield looks like i guess we could check here uh i'm sure it's kind of come down as well yeah as a whole it's come down as well that means a longer term debt they're getting a better yield on it that's less funding pressure on the u.s government i guess uh, less expensive in terms of of, of uh, interest costs, but the short term, which is a pretty significant amount of their their debt, uh, their their IOUs, those rates haven't changed a whole lot. But that's one way to look at it. Um, another way to look at this would be to say that uh, why are people buying bonds? Why have bonds caught such a bid? Now, again, there's two ways to look at that: is it international, or is it domestic demand, or both? Hard to say, you know, how many traders from Europe or elsewhere that are worried about their economies over there or their respective bonds, etc., are moving to to U.S. government bonds for that reason. Again, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, we could. Th- this might be something similar that we've seen overseas as well. Let's see here. We could look at uh, JGBs um, if we can find them. Japan. 10-year. There we go. Now, they don't move a whole lot, I'm going to guess. And and you know what we will do here. We'll put this in perspective for you guys. I'm going to move this scale over here onto the right just to give me an idea of what Japanese debt yields versus U.S. debt. And you know what? Just for kicks, we'll put German debt on this here as well. Um, let's see if we can just find fund, uh yields. Maybe this is it. No, that doesn't look right. It's hard to say here. I'm sorry, I should have gotten this beforehand. But, you know, the point of this is is that um, they're a lot lower. German 10-year, here we go. And you'll find these very low as well. Um, again, this is, this is a different chart. So if I move this onto the right, merge them all together. And again, very low yield versus U.S. debt. But what this tells us is that um, there's a ton of, in terms of real rates, negatively yielding debt. Hey, you could even say that these 10 years are pretty close to negative depending on what inflation really is. Uh, You also have to ask, why are they buying them in such large quantities? Why is it going up so much in terms of price? Because bonds traditionally are are viewed as a safe haven asset. Bring up a different chart here. Bring the SPX, the S&P, into the conversation here and how it's moved, um, especially since I would say Sometime in March, early March, where, where all of a sudden you just see this the S and P moving up. You see it moving up the whole way here, but really continue to hold very high values, you know, bouncing around twenty eight hundred. And yet, bond yields have fallen, signaling you know fears about the economy, a safe haven bid. Now, my my expectation is that we'll see the S P uh, the S P X the S and P five hundred fall back down. You know, I, I, I mean, this is a really poor comparison, but but fall to, to catch up to where bonds are, are saying things really are. I mean, how often is it the case that even for individual companies, it's the bonds, it's the debt picture that tells the real story, not necessarily the stock price. But anyways, moving beyond the 10-year, we're also seeing this picture. This is a long-term view of the yield curve, kind of. It's the spread, basically, what you're looking at between the uh, three-month bond, uh, or bill, or whatever it is at that at that uh, length, and then the 10-year. Now, as you can see here in the past, it's inverted in 2000. Uh, it inverted in 2006, meaning uh, that the 10-year the has a lower yield than the three-month, and as of late, it's inverted again. In fact, you can see that here. Um, just very recently, it inverted. I think that was just here back in the 22nd, in which the ten year dropped below that, and since then it's it's uh you know as of right now it would look like it's not quite inverted <laughs> pretty darn close to being inverted though very flat um, and so this is a very strong recession signal and 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 I guess if we're wondering where the ten year' is heading next if if history is any uh instructor, I guess we can say that it's not going to fall too much below the the ten year or sorry the three month. Because, you know, even here in the past, I mean, the closest it's maybe spread out is maybe close to 1% spread there. But yields were much higher back then. Here back in 2006, a very small spread that occurred there. And I don't see the 10-year falling a whole whole lot further than where it is right now until – yeah, uh, you know, the 3 months ultimately goes down along with the Fed funds rate, but you know, that's where it's at right now. I guess we also can say that it's probably going to remain inverted for a little while longer until ultimately it steepens and and we see the the ensuing recession. Who knows? I mean, given this this right here and and the next topic that we'll be talking about here in just a second, uh the the economy you got to wonder is, you know, is the economy already in a recession or is it already on the cusp of a recession? That's what this is kind of telling me. And that's certainly what this is telling me. That that if we're not in one yet, we're certainly in a very pre-recessionary environment. Uh, the bond market's caught on this. The stock market, however, is not. They're still you know euphoric about the the, the Fed halting the their their hiking uh, cycle and whatnot. But in reality, that that should make people you know afraid. In fact, one person that I think it's made a little bit afraid here is is uh, Larry Kudlow. Larry, no recession in sight, Kudlau, is now talking about how the Fed should immediately cut their interest rates. Now, is this just him kind of following what his, his uh, I guess, leader, Donald Trump, is telling him to say? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I mean, this, that's what he's really been doing since he, he joined the Trump administration. But he's saying that the Fed's got to cut rates immediately. 50 basis points. Now, it's really interesting how he, he frames this. This is from CNBC. He says, I'm um, echoing the president's view. He's not been bashful about that view. He would also like the Fed to see his shrinking its balance sheet, and I concur with that view. Looking at some of the indicators, I mean, the economy looks fundamentally quite healthy. We just don't want that threat. There's no inflation out there, so I think the Fed's actions were probably overdone. So here's a guy seeking out inflation just like the Fed. He even says the economy looks quite healthy. And I'll remind you, the stock market is looking very healthy. The unemployment rate, and yeah, I get it, it's not perfect, but judging by what Kudlow is probably watching, looks very healthy. Now, I'll hand it to him. Well, well, no, no, I, I take that back. He says the economy looks fundamentally quite healthy as well. That's where it's kind of interesting. It's not, actually. It's it's um, Quarter one is going to be a very weak number. Quarter two actually was revised. Or sorry, quarter four was from 2018 was revised downwards. We'll see what quarter two is going to look like. Um, but but a lot of the economic data is actually pretty poor. Um, fundamentally, it looks not quite healthy at all. It looks pretty sick. It looks very saturated with debt um, toxins, essentially. Um, the, the stock market looks good, though. <laughs> the unemployment rate looks good. And inflation is, I mean, I don't know how much inflation you want out of the Fed, but but here he is saying the economy looks fine, but we need to cut rates by 50 basis points, half a percentage point. It's just ridiculous. I mean, again, this is a guy, he says that basically he's saying here, I'm not worried about a recession, even though it wasn't that long ago that he again was saying his, you know, no recession in sight line. Already he's worried about this. Uh, and and what, what I found surprising was that silver and gold and the dollar didn't really react to this. Maybe it's because Larry Kudlow doesn't work for the Fed, but I don't know. There's certainly a lot of political pressure on the Fed. Are they bending to it? I don't necessarily think so. I think more so they're bending to the stock market and just the fear of the entire economy imploding more so than the Trump administration. But you know, eventually, you know, the markets are asking for more. They will eventually ask for more cuts, more QE. Et cetera, et cetera. We're moving in that direction, and and I think Cudlow is just a little bit of head of the head of the curve on this. You know, one of the first people to really come out here and and ask this is this is in line with what Stephen Moore I think is has been talking about how the Fed should lower interest rates. Uh, this is a uh, the Trump appointee to the Federal Reserve who has to be uh, confirmed yet by Congress. Um, this is some, something similar to what he's saying, and so uh, Trump wants uh, an easy Fed, a, a an accommodative Fed. Can't blame the guy. It's it's what his predecessor got for, for basically the entirety of his presidency. But regardless of what Obama got, I also get it. You know, if you're the Fed, you've got to be responsible with your policy. They haven't. They cannot be responsible with their policy. I think a responsible way to do it was not to have them decide these types of things in the first place. But if they are in place, they got to be responsible about it. And... What Kudlow is is advocating for, along with Trump and Stephen Moore and, and Obama did for so many years, uh, Yellen and Bernanke carried it out, it's irresponsible policy. It's short-sighted to, to boost the economy short-term, but, but it's leading to a lot of really deep systemic issues, whether it's runaway debt, um, in some ways a deflationary environment uh, uh, on many levels. Not to say we don't see inflation, we certainly do. It's leading to... Um, a, a, a increasing wealth disparity, a shrinking middle class. Uh, there's a whole host of of detrimental effects of this, and and in terms of the economy, it's it's not leading to robust growth. If anything, it's just leading to a you know what some would call a Japanification of our economy. Now, the final thing I want to talk about here today is one individual company, maybe the newest company on the what is it, the New York Stock Exchange? I think that's where it's listed. I'm talking about Lyft. The transportation company, the company that, you know, it's like Uber. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. It had its IPO today, 77, 78 bucks. You know, if if we look, we can do a quick Google search here. Uh, Lyft. Um, what am I looking at here? Uh, uh, market cap. Give you an idea of just how highly it's valued as of right now. It doesn't have one, but I want to say something like 20 some billion. Uh, twenty billion, even even higher than that. Um, that's what it's you know valued at at this current price. Now, I don't care a whole lot about Lyft. I think the IPO is interesting, whatever. I think if anything, if if the uh, uh, owners are really looking to to enrich themselves or whatever, they they picked a good time to do it. I, I think the time of these types of IPOs is running out. We, we've had a ton of them overpriced tech companies or startups or what have you. Uh, the time for that easy money is running out, and so if they 're looking to enrich themselves or get extra funding, not a bad time to do it. but as a whole, you know I see this as a is a fairly large threat to the economy going forward, and there 's a lot of them um, different threats but but there 's also a lot of lifts out there what i 'm talking about is companies that have unrealistically high valuations with little to no profits to show for it. Or if they do have profits, they're nowhere near what their valuations are. Now we saw this with a lot of the fang companies that that aren't doing so great anymore but were for a very long time there. We see it with companies like Tesla. We see it with companies like Lyft, uh, uh Uber's going to be going public soon, Snapchat some other ones out there, Netflix, that just are not extremely profitable and yet their valuations, um, I mean, they're large companies. Who doesn't have a Netflix account? Maybe some of my viewers. But, you know, they're big uh, corporations, but they're not necessarily always profitable. And their valuations are just not in line with their current profit. uh, And the the expectations are, are far higher than I think what they should be. And and if anything, it's a bubble. It's a speculative bubble. You know, not unlike the dot-com bubble, maybe a little more developed, considering Snapchat or Netflix or Lyft. I mean, they're widely used. It doesn't make them profitable It doesn't mean that they are going to be a sustainable business or have a sustainable business model. And I think, you know, when you add these up, you know, twenty-some billion for Lyft, you know, whatever Uber's going to be at, you you take some of the, the fan companies that really don't have as much to show for, like never mind Apple and Amazon. May, they're, they're highly valued maybe they deserve some of it maybe not but like the facebook or the netflix you know when you add all of these corporations up we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap and what happens when that is cut in half or some of these companies go under altogether in the next recession um and, and their profits fall tesla would be another one you know it's have a had a rough uh, couple of weeks uh, i'm going to guess they're they're Current valuation is under fifty billion, uh, but it's another great example of a company that is a very large market cap. and And when these ultimately implode, you can see a lot of people that are heavily invested invested in these intentionally or maybe not, maybe just through ETFs through through more passive means. And they're going to lose quite a bit of their portfolio, I think. And and I think that's uh, cannot be underestimated. Um, what collapse of a couple of these types of companies even just their stock will mean for the economy whether it's tesla netflix lyft uber snapchat facebook etc so that's my weekly wrap-up video for this week if you'd like to see some other topics uh and uh, for for future videos let me know down below in the comment section as always i'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for tuning into yet another episode of silver fortune And God bless.